0: Welcome to your Buzz Rant and Rave podcast. Yes, we're back. I'm Andrew Raff. Tonight I'm talking with the band Distant Correspondent. They're based out of, um, well, it's complicated. So let's just go straight to the call.
1: (laughs) I get weird about my geographical location being too precisely disclosed. But suffice to say, I'm not in Denver. He is in Denver, but we're both in the state of Colorado.
2: Okay,
0: so somewhere from an undisclosed location in Colorado, we have David, I'm not going to try to pronounce your last name, uh, Obuchowski, I'll I'll do it
1: for you, (laughs) yep, and, and and we have Michael Langle,
0: yep, and, and you guys are from the band Distant Correspondent,
1: that is correct, not, not present from the band Distant Correspondent is Emily Gray, the, uh, our vocalist, who is um, in Oxford, England.
0: So you
1: truly are
0: nowhere near. Well, you guys are close to each other, but it's a very far-flung effort.
1: Yeah, I actually went down and had a meeting with um, Michael today, as well as uh, a wonderful filmmaker who's working on a video for us. And um, we uh, and I got stuck. There's a, an accident on the way. And it took uh, an hour and forty-five minutes to to get home. So if you think that's far, then consider, of course, um, our uh, our third member is is all the way across the Atlantic Ocean. So um, truly a far-flung effort. Yes,
0: and I guess not on the on the call today because of time concerns. Time concerns,
1: yeah, and um, yeah, yeah. That's that's mainly it. As um, things have been sort of ramping up pretty quickly too. She's um, We've also been putting a lot on our plate. Um, of course, as a vocalist, she's the sort of last to get all the material. And, and uh, you know, as we, Michael and I take our time to perfect things, then we get it done and we're like, here it is. <laughs> so uh, she's, she's currently, we're, she has to contend with all kinds of requests from us. But like, you know, here's music and we need some photos and some video footage. Because, of course, imagine making a video, of course, with people in this, Sort of geographical uh, dispersion.
0: Yeah, so how did uh, how did you start at this project?
1: Um, this project started because uh, Ghost Cube, um, as you know, uh, is a you know is a metal band, and um, Ghost Cube has been out since two thousand three, and um, and 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 only playing heavy music. And so um, I'm a lover of other kinds of music, and though Ghost Cube does incorporate some other elements, it's generally just, you know, loud and fast and heavy, and um, so Distant correspondent had originally been this way of categorizing anything that I did that was not Ghost Cube related, but of course, that never really ventured any far further than my own, like, office um, uh, or apartment. Actually, before
0: we go further, why don't, uh, I'm going to splice in a bit of a Ghost Cube song here, so we can get a sense of what you're coming away from. Okay. Uh, Ghost Cube has been around, uh, they said 2003, they started up in Brooklyn, uh, toured all over the country, and uh, we'll put in a few seconds of a song here. Uh, anyone in particular we should, uh I should dig
1: up? Well, um, maybe something from our most recent effort in Tides and Drifts, uh, the opener safety conference.
0: Okay. and so everything else was distant correspondence.
1: right except that that didn't really have any meaning, meaning to anybody else because i never let anyone else hear that except for my wife and um and um but then i moved out of new york and um i met michael um it just um it, it happened because i was writing for a company um that he he's working for and um and i became aware that he was a guy who Liked music and um, and we sort of hit it off and we had a beer one day and I said it was sort of a shot in the dark. In fact, he was talking about bands that I had never heard of and I was talking to him about bands that he really had never heard of. But there were a few that we had in common. But for the most part, it was like we just kind of I think we had a mutual respect and and um, we got together on New Year's Day of two thousand twelve and that was the first time we got together and played music and. It you know it was good and it clicked and it was it was like fine it was like it was like this is really good like you know but it, I mean it wasn't like mind blowing and actually what had really clicked was the next um, week uh, I had recorded this sort of one guitar riff that didn't sound anything like what we had worked on in in my garage on New Year's Day. And I I sort of emailed it off to him just to say, oh, by the way, this was like a cool sounding thing and maybe it could just be this weird little interstitial, like not a song, certainly. And Michael uh, all of a sudden emails me back the song with drums on it and it blew my mind because he had interpreted this looping guitar riff so immensely differently than I had heard it. Of course, I was hearing it, you know, like, like one, two, three, four, one, two, three, or whatever it was. And he had, was hearing it in an entirely different time signature, um, and and played it. And I actually like I had it, I was floored by. It. I made him like sit there and tap it out for me. Like how are you even hearing this like this? And so that was the beginning of distant Correspondent. And is and and like. It, um, and then, of course, Michael was like, dude, this is not an interstitial track. This is an entire song. You just need to go write the rest of it. And I did. And then the rest of the record just kind of, it just happened from there. That was the perfect point. And that song, that first song became the song Badlands. Um,
2: yeah. I mean, for for me, I think uh, getting to know David early on, like I wasn't expecting our musical taste to really overlap as much as it kind of did because um, I hadn't really been into, you know, metal or that kind of genre so much before, but um, I think when we got together on New Year's Day and we started playing a little bit, you know, uh, we could tell, you know, there was there was something there, and, you know, we started talking about kind of our favorite bands and influences and, and that sort of thing, and, uh, you know, within a week, David sent me, you know, that track, and I just, I, I did hear it differently because I was you know, wanting to kind of take the tune in a different direction and and try to make something that was uh, maybe a little bit unexpected uh, with the drums there. And I think um, that was, you know, just the the start of what developed into a really nice and um, organic kind of process for us, um, you know, trading music music files back and forth. Yeah,
0: so before we get into the process, what are some of uh, each of your influences? Where is the overlap and... Where do you diverge from there?
1: Well, um, I think actually, oddly enough, certainly no one would pick this out of anyone of your your uh, listeners who have heard Go's Cube would certainly never expect that maybe we listen to this band. But one of the first bands we talked about was Boards of Canada. That was one of the first. Um, that was one of the first bands or 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 groups or however you want to categorize them. Um, where, you know, he was saying, what about this band when I was going, what about this band, and, and you know, I'm saying sort of metal things, and he's saying other things, and then he's like, Boards of Canada, I was like, oh, man, I love Boards of Canada, and I was like, and oddly enough, another thing, another I think, point of overlap was um, DJ Shadow was, the, I was like, you know, in, introducing to me as is, is one of the greatest records, like, you know, full stop, and he was like, oh, absolutely, and so... And I don't think that a lot of people would listen to a Distant Correspondent and and pick it, either of those out uh, either. But it was a um, certainly maybe a reference point as far as atmosphere goes. And I, was, I yeah. definitely hear the the connection with the DJ
0: Shadow. Uh, not even in anything in particular, but just kind of the the feel or the the mood of it. Right. The rhythms a lot. Kind of the rhythms are very kind of
1: shifty in that way and that and that's what Michael brought to it, and that's what I was gonna say uh, in terms of that sort of how did distant correspondence start? It didn't even start on New Year's Day. It started that week after New Year's when it was really by distance that we had come of this, where it was this concept of like like in the garage we were communicating and saying and we were st- clearly stating our intention, okay, like I'm gonna play this riff, and he's gonna play that, and that's we're gonna lock that in. And whereas the week after that, it was just like, "Oh, hey, here's a riff," and then he interpreted it, and that's when I realized, especially because so many songs came from that, and they were so natural, it just flowed so well, and it was so unexpected for the both of us. Um, I mean, I would get back, I would get back the drums, I'd have no idea what to expect, and 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 you, there you are, expecting the unexpected, and you get blown away, anyways. And I realized, you know, it's funny that I had picked the name Distant Correspondent so long ago. Um, Which was just an arbitrary thing. I thought it sounded cool. And here I was, and I realized, uh, um, well, you know what? Distant Correspondent, actually, this is Distant Correspondent. I mean, we're making music over distance through correspondence. And then when Emily Gray came into the fold, it was even more, you know, it reinforced that even more. So really, that's how Distant Correspondent started, and, and yeah.
0: Yeah, I have to say, it's very surprising to hear that you came up with a name before you came up with a project, because this kind of sounds a lot like the Postal Service that came up out of the idea, the name, or came out of the, the method of making the music, where they were mailing tapes back and forth, and you guys were sending files back and forth. So it's yeah. very appropriate.
2: Yeah, it, it we is. joked about naming ourselves <laughs> WeTransfer. transfer. <for laughs> <Yeah. every reason. laughs> right, that exactly. That website like, portrayed in our files, and I think, I don't know, I think, um, you know, to speak to David's point, like, you know, a lot of the time you're used to, you know, getting together with a musician, working something out in person, and, you know, maybe, you know, if you're coming from different backgrounds, or you have different influences, you know, you have different ideas or, you know, vision for where a song can go, and I think you know, a lot of the time what you end up with is you know, butting of heads, you know, someone's going to take, you know, lead or take charge and say, okay, this is the direction I want to go, this is what I'm hearing in my head, and so, you know, not to say that writing together collaboratively in person is a bad thing, but I think, you know, for this project what's been really interesting is that, um, you know, we we don't, um, we're not stuck, um, you know, with some of those trappings of working together, um, you know, in person in the same space. It's, you know, here's a file, um, you know, see what magic you can kind of make um, happen with this. And so that, on the one hand, it's a little bit... Um, you know, you've got some constraints because, you know, I'll get a guitar track and that is what it is. And so from there, you know, I kind of um, try to do what I can to make um, an interesting beat or start to, you know, layer things from there. Um, But I think it's an interesting process because, you know, there's a certain element of trust um, when you make that handoff. It's, you know, hey, here's this track. I'm not going to give you direction, Um, you know, do what you will, and, and we'll kind of go from there. And so it's really a process of kind of experimenting to see, you know, what fits um, for the song, and um, kind of building it from there. And uh, it's it's definitely a, a very different process, I think, than, than a lot of music writing, um, you know, traditionally.
1: Yeah. So did you come into
0: any of these any of these songs with like having a vision of what you wanted it to be, or you just let it evolve as you went back and forth?
1: Uh well, I think it really evolved. I mean, uh, of course, I think there was an evolution there um I think what's good is that I think that Michael and I saved each other from our music becoming maybe a little bit too um referential um for lack of a better word i mean um i I came into this project finally able to write music that I felt like paid um homage to the things the bands that made me fall in love with music when I was um, you know, when I was 11 years old, um, I, I sort of simultaneously heard both, um, like punk rock as well as the British bands, like the Cocteau Twins and Smiths. And then later on, of course, Slow Dive and, and, um, and that, and, and My Bloody Valentine and all, and, and sort of bands like those. And I, you know, I loved them just as much. In fact, in high school, it was, it was always weird because I would be like, I was, like, in a punk band, and all these friends were all punk guys and hardcore guys, and I grew up right outside of New York, and, but, and I'm trying to convince them, like, you guys don't get it, like, the Smiths is punk, like, that's, it's punk, and they're like, whatever, you know, these guys are listening to, you know, VOD and Earth Crisis, and I'm going, like, really, you know, listen to this song, this is, this is, like, punk, and, uh, you know, they weren't really buying it, um, (laughs) but, um, you know, this allowed me to sort of explore those things that have always been such a huge influence and that I love so much. And I wasn't trying to recreate that sound or the the songs. Um, but I think maybe it, it might have been a little bit... Um, it might have been a little bit too obvious or a little bit too predictable. But then Michael had come from such a different place, again, with his influences, that um, that's where that evolution happened. Because, again, like... I didn't even know what to expect and, you know, here I was thinking I was writing a song. Well, I hadn't, I certainly hadn't written a song. I had only written a portion of it because it, the thing I would get back from Michael would be, you know, worlds away from what I had heard in my head, which was you know, wonderful every single time.
0: Yeah, so Michael, what are some of your influences that uh, are, are different from a, a different starting point from what David's been listening to?
2: Yeah, I mean, for me, um, you know, I, I like to Kind of consume a lot of different music from a lot of different eras. Um, you know, there's no there's no like one genre or um, style of music that, that really captivates me. I mean, it it could be anything from you know the production value of a record to you know the time it was made, the story behind it, that kind of thing. And so, you know, I, I kind of um, draw on pretty diverse range of you know influences. I mean, I. I'm obsessed with uh, Scott Walker. I think his music from, you know, the '60s and '70s is brilliant. I'm, um, um, you know, small shoe gaze and uh, you know dream pop bands um, here and there. Um, you know, we mentioned Boards of Canada. Um, you know, for me that was kind of a nice hybrid of, um, you know, production really thoughtful, methodical kind of soundscapes. Um, matched with, you know, an interesting beat that kind of holds your attention. And so, um, you know, I think it, for me it kind of runs the gamut from, you know, old 60s pop tunes to, um, you know, 80s uh, kind of new wave and dark wave to, uh, you know, stuff that's, that's coming out today from uh, Grizzly Bear to Twin Shadow and, you know, all these different places. I mean, it, for me it's just about hearing as many different sounds as uh, possible, and, and trying to think of ways to, um, you know, strike that balance between um, writing a song that's, that's pretty, um, but also challenging at the same time, um, you, you always read articles about Radiohead and how Johnny Greenwood's, um, you know, guitars were um, there to make, you know, their songs uh, sound nasty or ugly or give it, you know, some, some kind of edge. Um, and for me, I've always been fascinated with that balance of, um, again, whether it's the production or maybe even the lyrics, having some juxtaposition between, you know, something like a song that's really beautiful, but set against, you know, maybe cynical lyrics, um, like for Scott Walker, or, um, you know, a tune that's, um, you know, really beautiful and serene, but then, you know, throws you, um, a curveball with, uh, you know, some nasty guitars or um, a drum beat that you're not expecting. So for me, it's just about, you know, trying to listen to uh, as much as I can and, and, you know, find interesting ways to do the unexpected, um, which I think is something that um, might translate more for David and myself than um, someone listening to distant correspondent for the first time. Um, but I think you can hear the elements of that where, you um, Maybe you might expect one of these songs to go in a certain direction, but um it surprises you or at least I hope it does um but do you think there's any one
0: particular track of these of this album that really embodies that where there's something that's so different from the other elements of the song that really jumps out
1: at us um I, we'll we'll go I'll pick one song um and uh Although it's hard every time, I mean, I think my, uh, one of the things is, um, would be the song Thistle. Um, the song Thistle is, um, was a song that I thought was a, you know, a fairly straightforward song and a, and a, a pretty song. And, um, and actually what happened was Michael sent along uh, drum tracks that of course were, Different than I expected, and that was again. I was at that point. It was one of the more. It was one of the later songs on the record that we wrote, and I was already trying to expect the unexpected. And it was. I had certainly heard it as a very very slow song, and he sent it back, and it was of course now a f- faster song, and I was delighted. And I thought this is great. And he said, Yeah. And and uh, this was sort of typical Michael fashion to to say like, Well, you know, this is you know, it's not perfect. I think I might want to you know retake some things, and. It was, like, probably one of the last things, actually, that he tracked on drums. Uh, He said, okay, here's the drum track. And I put it into the song, and I listened back, and I... In fact, he might have even been in the room with me, because I think we actually started mixing that day. It was, like, that right up to the last minute. And I looked at him, and I said, did I line this track up wrong? Like, it was... And he was like, "Nope, you didn't." I just actually changed some stuff up, and the drums in that in the section from the introduction until the, um, I think it's the second verse, he comes in with these, really really weird sort of off, off time beats that. The more I listened to him, the more I just like it was squirming with delight. I was just like, "This is the weirdest, coolest thing," you know. Um, so that to me is probably a, a, one good example.
2: Uh, and I think for me, you know, David mentioned it earlier. I mean, Badlands um, was kind of the first uh, real track that we worked on, and uh, I think uh, you know, from from the opening guitar riff, um, you know, you're maybe expecting one thing, and then um, have uh, old fill that kind of pulls you into a different direction. And um, I don't know, for me, that's always exciting with the song. Like, um, you know, maybe it's most obvious with the beat um, that kind of shakes you and you're like, oh, that's, that's not what I was expecting. And so you kind of have to reorient yourself to the song almost. Yeah. Um, for me, that kind of makes for interesting and compelling uh, repeat listening. So.
0: And so, at recording this, did you guys do any of this together or were you always separate when you were recording tracks?
1: We always tracked separately. And in fact, um, I actually think that it lends the. I think that there's. I, I really love the production on this record um, because I think that it's. Uh, I've had a lot of. You know, uh, when we shared it with friends, I've actually had a lot of friends tell me how much they really like the production as well, and and have immediately asked where did you record it, thinking that um, certainly we went into a studio in Denver and and made it happen, and actually, you know, all the um, all the guitars were tracked here in my home studio. And, um, all the drums were tracked in Michael's home studio and, uh, he and I shared the bass. Um, so half the bass is actually done at his place and half the bass is done at my place. And I think what ends up happening is I think the guitars have this really spacious, um, sound that, that really gives it, um, a big sort of sense of that, that atmosphere and mood that we were talking about. And yet, um... I think that if 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 the drums were recorded that way, I think it would end up being very, very, like, noisy. I don't think it would be nearly as clean or tight. And uh, the production on the drums, I have no idea how Michael achieved that. But um, I just think it's amazing because it, it really, it has such a different sound. Um, but when you put them together, I just think it's a perfect balance. And I think that it really, I think it really, um... I would send these songs off and I would be hearing them as almost these sort of formless, shapeless, pretty guitar scapes almost. And, of course, I I knew that they were more than that, but I, I couldn't help but just think that. And then I'd get them back and I would hear Michael's drums and they were these super tight, like, really, really, you know, I don't know, uh, you know, I guess the word, the word that I keep coming back to is just how tight the production was uh, on his drums. and that And that really just struck a great balance for me. So, so
0: one of the things I thought was really interesting about listening to this, having heard David playing Ghost Cube, is how similar your playing style is in a lot of ways that it's definitely you can hear that it's you playing guitar, but the sound is so different that it's not through all the, the distortion or whatever, the, the metal stuff. So was there a particular approach you used as far as picking guitars, amps, and pedals for this?
1: Well, see now that's that's interesting that you say that, and I'm glad that you did I mean they're not really um the only difference in guitars is um is that I've got one uh semi hollow body guitar that I use that I've never used in Go's Cube um for uh somewhat obvious reasons to anyone who's heard or seen us it just wouldn't work but um the uh guitar that I use for Go's Cube was um you know is definitely on there and it's in every single song and it's used as uh you know. It very prominently so, but, um, so is a semi-hello body, it's probably 50-50 mix. Um, the, I don't, my, my technique, I don't really have any techniques as a guitar player. I don't, I don't have a sort of a metal technique versus a non-metal technique. I only have the technique that sort of allows me to write songs that I mean, that I try to sit down and write stuff that I think is pretty. And, um, it's, I'm kind of glad that you said that because, um, there are a lot of metal elements to the record that don't—they're not, they're not going to sound metal at all. But there's a lot of tapping, uh, on, you know. There's a lot of guitar tracks um, where there's really fast tapping and stuff. Um, that, uh, as you pointed out, if you put that through a distortion pedal, that's going to sound like a really shreddy guitar solo. And put through a little bit of reverb or delay and chorus and mixed in with what's going on with the rest it actually turns into this sort of atmospheric thing. Um, so I didn't have any sort of a different approach in terms of technique. Um, I think, in fact, this record contains some of my most like uh, challenging stuff that I played. Um, and in fact, when I played it for my bandmates in Go's Cube, we were on tour and the record was almost finished and I played it for them and they were like, they, you know, because they certainly are familiar with my guitar playing. They were sort of like, "Oh my God, this is this is crazy! This guitar line you're doing." They were able to to pick those things out as well. Um, there were, and to that point, even um, Michael, for one of the one of the songs, he actually came back and and half jokingly said like. Oh my God! My instinct is to put a blast beat behind this, like you know, because he actually was able to pick out a couple <laughs> metal-ish moments, um, even though it's obviously not a metal record. So no.
0: And so, Michael, was there a particular approach you used when you were setting up the drums for this uh, these sessions, as far as how you uh, picked what you're playing, or or mic them, or just your approach towards playing them?
2: Yeah, I mean, so I've been, um, you know, kind of home recording, um, since I was in college, and, uh, you know, I mentioned listening to a bunch of different music to try to, you know, get cues for, you know, the sounds I liked, or, um, certain production elements that I wanted to, you know, try to mimic, um, you know, in my own music, and I think through a lot of, um, just trial and error, um, you know, reading up on, you know, how or you know, Ringo Star, or anyone, um, you know, mics their, their drum kits kit, so as. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess, you know, in terms of miking, I was just trying, um, you know, kind of test out a few different things, um, from what I could find on the internet, researching, uh, some artists and, um, you know, it was, it was mainly trial and error. I mean, I've been recording with the same, um, you know, pretty, pretty sketchy setup. Um, I've got a, you know old power book that uh, i got my freshman year of college um, proceeded to drop at numerous live shows when i was doing some electronic music at uh, parties and that sort of thing and um fortunately it's still going strong and i'm you know running everything into a mixer and straight into an old inbox too so it's definitely not uh glamorous or very um expensive my setup but i think uh you know, over time, I've been able to kind of get the sound that um, that I want, and um, again, not not as many fancy production techniques as uh, you may find in the studio, but um, I think it works pretty well for the sound that we try to achieve here.
0: And so, what kind of software are you guys using to send tracks back and forth? Are you doing this in uh, Logic or Pro Tools or something like that?
1: I think we're I think we're using two different things. Um, um, I. I do all my recording in audacity i'm not a very um, uh... i don't know how to use pro tools i know how to watch other people use pro tools <laughs> but when it comes to my own thing i don't really know how to do it audacity is like such an easy um, program to use and it's it's a really light program, So it takes up so few resources um, uh... on the computer and um, you know and it's free and it's free uh... even better so I um yeah so I I recorded all my stuff in Audacity and then we would send uncompressed tracks back to each other via WeTransfer and um and then uh Michael would record with another setup but then we I think we yeah, yeah Michael recorded another setup and then we'd mix it all in Audacity and then I'd send that file back to him and then he would uh run it through his setup once again to get like the right compression and or you know all that other stuff so it ping-ponged between different platforms.
0: Cool. And uh, the final mix, you sit, to, you guys sat together to to mix the final product, right?
1: Yeah, we did. That was the one thing that we decided we wanted to to do together, and and mostly because, um, well, I think two reasons. One is because it's tedious to go back and forth, you know, on fourteen songs, and, um, and you know, and just email again and again and again. Um the other thing is obviously is there's an element to like wow, we created these things together separately and you know getting together a few times during the recording of the record without any instruments you know getting a six pack of beer and going like great now let's listen to these together and it was like the it was it's crazy because it was the first time that we actually got to see each other react to the songs even in person i mean you know we knew that we were pleased because of the emails going back and forth, but, you know, it would be kind of cool to to finally put on a song like Stranger and, you know, and okay, let's just kind of move the bass up a little bit and then you'd play it back and you'd both be sitting there and you'd be like, holy shit, this was the first time that we were hearing this together and we'd, we'd made the, the fucking thing together, you know, so it was that was a pretty cool moment, so I think that was another reason why we wanted to make sure we mixed in person.
0: One of the things I found so interesting about the uh, some of the vocals was how intimate they they were. They really sounded like they were recorded in homes and bedrooms in in small spaces, very close in, not like in big studios with huge uh, reverb boxes and things.
1: Yeah, and you know, I, I experimented with a lot of different spaces to where I, I tried singing in uh, all different kinds of places like in a, a uh, in the garage, which would be like a biggest sort of live room. Um, I had the best luck, and and I had the best luck, um, on my end, almost everything that you hear was recorded around four o'clock in the morning, um, in terms of the vocals, because I did not, I've, I've got a, a son who's very young, he's just over a year now, and was not a year old when we were tracking this record, and, um, I would, when, you know, I had, when he was not sleeping, I would do, try different setups, and I would project and do these things, stand back, and my favorite, favorite, favorite results would come at, um, I would have just woken up at around uh, 3.45 a.m., so that way I could set aside uh, time, and it'd be dark, and it'd be weird, because it's, you know, 3.45 in the morning, and you're disoriented and exhausted, and I would, you know get the setup going, and I'd listen to the songs a few times, and <clears throat> I'd shake the the sleep from my voice, and I think that's where that intimate thing came from, because I had to project in a way to get my voice heard, and to have it be distinct, but at the same time to, uh, you know, practically speaking, to not wake up my kid, but also to try to capture that weird four o'clock in the morning kind of vibe. There is something there, you know, what I mean, and I think that to sort of take that one step further, is that, you know, and Andrew, having, you know, been in that New York music scene, or whatever, there's, and having seen each other a, only a million times at Flood, you know, in our respective practice spaces in the warehouse, the, in New York, you tend to make music late at night when it's, you know, when you've been drinking a lot, and you're you're running into a lot of people, and it's New York City, and it's crazy, and there's a lot of energy, and um, this was such a of a different thing. This was, you know, again, like four o'clock in the morning, I would be writing the songs and singing and, and doing some tracking and it would be like, you know, you're stone cold sober, but in the same way, it's just a weird time in the world. And so you're just almost as much as disoriented as you were in New York, but in the complete opposite end of the spectrum.
0: And one of the nice things I think about being in Colorado is that you actually have the capability to have space in your house that you can play music in it. Yeah. Where in New York, you're, very constrained that you probably don't live someplace that you can play music at four in the morning, or if you do, you probably can't record music at four in the morning because there's so much other noise going on there. Exactly. And uh, it's such a much more private, comfortable thing to do out in, uh, well, anywhere else in the States.
1: Sure, exactly. And I mean, there's, you know, we, we, it took eight months to track this record. I mean, almost eight months. And we used almost every single day of that day to do some tracking on it. And, um, you know, you have that luxury when you're not in the, in the New York environment. Um, you, you just do, you know, and and that's something that, that's one of the reasons why after a long time in New York that we, m- my wife and I decided we were going to move out, um, it you know, was to try to, because she's also an artist, as you know, we were sort of banking on that, that New York is an amazing place, and it's an inspiring place, but maybe we can even expand our work a little bit more. Maybe Colorado would would give us that. And um, I think it has.
0: That's great.
1: That's,
0: uh, that's great. And speaking of different from New York, how did you get Emily involved in the, the group and the, the record?
1: Emily came on board because she is the, well, she was the vocalist for a band called Meanwhile Back in Communist Russia, who I have loved more than I can say since, um, like the year 2000. And, um, so I've loved that band for a long time. Um, they, you know, they did like two peel sessions. Um, they supported pulp. They were, um, I think one of those bands that, you know, probably was going to, get huge at some point, and, and, and for whatever reason, I actually don't know, I don't know the story, but they, they disbanded after two albums, um, and, uh, they're just such a mysterious band, I mean, and their music is so beautiful, and so interesting, and, and dark, and all that stuff, and the most distinct aspect is Emily's vocals, and she, of course, as you've heard the, you've heard our record, she doesn't, she doesn't sing in the traditional sense, she does spoken word stuff, and, um, uh, we were talking about guests for the next Ghost Cube album, and because um, we had Jay May sing on two songs from our last record, and we were thinking about more guests, and we wanted to do something different. But um, um, we were, and we were on tour when we were talking about it. We were listening to Meanwhile Back in Communist Russia, and I said, "I don't even. I've never even seen a photo of this woman. I just love the band. I've always loved the band. And I, I think, you know, how cool would this be?" And our bass player was like, "Yeah, this would be great." And Kenny was like yeah, man, finally, me, yeah, like, let's see, so I contacted Emily, which took months to track her down, to figure out, you know, where she was, and it, I won't go through all of the hoops I had to jump, jump through, but, I mean, suffice to say, she's not on Facebook, and you know, it's not like Emily Gray on Facebook, she's not, it's not there, and um, I got in touch with her, um, finally, and asked her about Go's Cube, and she was She loved Ghost Cube. She was like, this is great. This is really cool. And she was like down with it in principle. And so I sent her a couple tracks um, of songs that will be on the next record. And she was like, I really like the songs, but I just don't know how I'm going to fit in on them. Keep trying. And I was like, okay. And I was kind of like... But in the meantime, I've got this other project. <laughs> and uh, it's really different. Because like, her complaint was, not that it was a complaint, her her point was, these songs are too brutal. They're too loud and fast. There's not going to be any space for me to do what I do on them. And I said, well, I'm working on a whole other project, and it's got a different sound. And you know, now I feel like I'm just being a bother. But um, if you're interested, I'll send it your way. And she said, send it. And I sent what we had worked on so far. And she was like, I love it, and I'm totally down. And she picked a song, and you could tell the way that she dove into it. It was like she cared about it. She cared about it, and and um, it was great. Um, it was just an amazing experience, and it just worked out so well. And again, the concept was there so much that Michael and I just talked about it, and we said, I, you know, Emily has to be a part of this in a permanent way. And we we said, well, What do you think? And she's she said yeah, absolutely. I mean she won't be on every single song uh moving forward, but um but she'll be she'll have the option to be on, you know, most all of them and she'll play a very significant role on the on on all our subsequent albums and in fact I think we'll be going back and she may even be uh we may be remixing her into some other of the songs on this on this album before it comes out.
0: And so how is this
1: when and how is this album gonna be coming out? Well, I'm going to be a little tight lipped about that, Andrew, um, because uh, etiquette prevents me from divulging any details until it's confirmed. Um, the album is going, I've been, as you know, Ghost Cube is on the End Records, which is, you know, just essentially a metal label. Um, and we've worked really hard, we've got a lot of metal contacts, but um, we've also gotten to meet people elsewhere, and um, it's, you know, pinging people from other labels who um, I've always really loved and saying, hey, I'm in a new project, and they're immediately like, well, you know us, we don't do metal stuff. And my, that's not metal. So um, uh, there's one label in particular, it's a New York-based label, um, who's been really great about it. Um, they've got the record right now. They seem really interested. Um, and um, we're hoping to work with them. I can't really say who it is, again, etiquette, um, maybe by the time you cobble this together, I can give you a call and you can edit me in saying who it is because, and I'll even have a release date for you, but I don't have one right now, but it will be coming out on a really good label and it'll have the proper release that it deserves. Right. So it's a, it's a work
0: in progress on the business end, but it's going to be an actual, uh, legit release of oh, yeah. some nature.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And so you'll, there'll probably be a whole
0: more press like this, uh, to, to follow around um and so beyond that you, and what further plans do you have for distant correspondence
1: we've already started the next album um and um in fact we're te- technically speaking two songs into it um so we didn't see we felt like there was a good time when we had when we had sort of got done tracking the last album which is called the first you know this first record is called everyone is someone else and i think there was a definite stopping point in my head that said like good these are the songs for that record and but it it wasn't like we took a break and and in fact michael was very very much like i do not want to lose this momentum like let's just keep going and in fact there really wasn't a reason to stop and so um i really did i took maybe like a week off to sort of just kind of clear my head a little bit and and then i picked up the guitar and started writing it and um uh the beginnings to songs and i sent them to michael and um so we're already working on the next stuff and um logistically touring is going to be an interesting prospect given you know our geographical location other factors but when the record comes out we'll be supporting it so you know in one way or the other um and uh, and that'll be an interesting that'll be a whole other interesting thing because these songs have a lot of different layers and guitar tracks and it's not going to be you know if it's let's put it this way if it's me Michael and Emily on the stage hearing these songs live is going to be v- vastly different than hearing them on the record. <laughs>
0: It's going to take a whole other engineering feat, essentially rewriting it to figure out how to play it as a live thing, because it's never been a live group before.
1: Exactly, exactly. And in fact, not just I mean, and you you hit the nail on the head. It's rewriting it and refiguring it out, because frankly, there are there are some of these songs which have like 80 guitar tracks, and I, I you know when you're doing that much, you you just and I don't I don't know how to write music. I don't know how to even I wouldn't know how to notate what I'm doing anyway. So I would have to go back. Um, you know, I will have to go back and have to, to some extent, relearn the songs from here as if they're someone else's.
2: You know, we we haven't really talked about. It. I mean, you know, if we do decide to, you know, try to learn these songs and play them live, that sort of thing. I mean, it'll essentially be, you know, kind of coming full circle, right? Like we've done this process through, um, you know, trading files over over our, you know many miles that uh, separate us, and, you know, it would be interesting for sure to kind of come back and try to rework these into something that would translate live. Uh, yeah, I think it can't be done, but I think it would, it would be a fun challenge and, and interesting to see how these, like, what core elements of these songs kind of come through.
0: It's kind of almost like rearranging it by taking an orchestral work and pairing it down to a, a string quartet or a piano arrangement.
1: Right. But of course, it'll also give us a, a good excuse to call upon our other musician friends and say, hey, you guys want to get together and hang out for a while? And oh, by the way, bring, bring your guitars, because we have something for you to do.
0: So let's, uh, how about we listen to a full song from Distant Correspondent? Here is Badlands.
2: afraid in the middle of the day. Have you forgotten the clock only I mean, to time has run twice as fast? Do you know, know who I am? am? And do you miss me? Do you miss me? Do you miss me? Do you miss me?
0: think that we'll, we'll close out with that. Uh, do you guys have any other... uh you have a website to plug? Uh, yet, yeah. Or are you just on the, the Twitter and the, the Facebook?
1: Yeah, you know, I mean, I think that uh, this sounds like a cop-out, but I mean, and I've learned this from GhostCube, it's so hard maintaining multiple websites, and people just tend to go to your Facebook by default uh, anyway. Um, so we're on Twitter and we're on Facebook. Um... You can hear music on Facebook, so um, both are, uh, it's facebook.com slash distant c-o-r-r, twitter.com slash distant c-o-r-r.
0: Or you can find the links to that at BuzzRantrave.com as well as the link to subscribe to the podcast or other show notes. I've been Andrew Raff. Thanks to Michael and David from Distant Correspondent. Thanks, Andrew. Thank you.